Hello fellow sports photographers. My name is Dean Mukteropoulos, aka All Sports Napper on social media, and I'm a Getty Images sports photographer. Welcome to the Sports Photography Philosophy Podcast, the show where I have open discussions with the world's best sports photographers, as well as speak about my experiences covering various events, giving you an insight behind the long lenses from the men and women who fill our sports pages, websites, and magazines with amazing imagery. You should know the drill by now, but if you've just found my not-so-regular show, please get in touch with any questions or comments via Twitter or Instagram on AllSportSnapper or my website, AllSportSnapper.com. Today's show is going back to the classic interview format. But this came about in a very different way to just asking a friend or emailing a colleague. I received an email from a PR company in the US who asked if I would like to speak to one of their people. Now, I'm a skeptical person and thought this must be a scam. Why would anyone want to speak to me and my second-rate podcast? But 30 minutes of internet searching later, I was scrambling to find time that would suit both of us for a chat. Today's fantastic guest is Andrew Bernstein. Not only is one of the longest serving NBA photographers. Not only is he the director of photography at the Staples Center, home to the LA Lakers, LA Clippers, LA Kings, and hosted every top musician you could name. Not only is he a recent Hall of Fame inductee, not only is he the second photographer ever to be recognized by the prestigious Kurt Gowdy Media Award, he is the Lakers team photographer and has worked closely with players from Magic Johnson to LeBron James. Andy D, as he is sometimes known, has partnered with retired NBA legend Kobe Bryant on his first ever book titled The Mamba Mentality, How I Play. And all the stunning photos in this book are by today's guest, shot over Kobe's 20-year career. As you'll hear in the next 90 minutes, Andrew is a vastly experienced photographer who has captured many of the highs and lows of one of the greatest players of all time. But this interview is not about Kobe, though, of course, he gets a mention. We go back in time to where it all started, from shooting landscapes with his father to shadowing sports illustrated photographers and being a fourth assistant in a Lakers photo shoot in the early 80s, setting up strobes or flashes in the roof of stadiums to shoot live basketball action, training and leaving a legacy of other team photographers around the NBA, about representing your clients every time you pick up a camera, and working with MIT to develop remote camera firing technology. And yes, I call a basketball game a match sometimes. So apologies for the wrong terminology. I hope you enjoy the Sports Photography Philosophy Podcast. Very honored, actually, that my name came up amongst your uh, world tour of uh, promotion for your uh, <laughs> for your uh, your career, and I'm guessing this is a, um, a books, and you know, obviously, you've been on ESPN and all this kind of thing. I mean, it's. Mm. Uh, I mean, can I just ask? I mean, I'm I'm a bit naive to a lot of these things, and this is mm-hmm. pretty much one of the reasons I started interview uh, these uh, interviews in this uh, process. To find out more about how it works on from from the point of view that I don't have, you know, I I came into Getty as a total novice working at local papers, and now when you go when you start working in a place like Getty, you know, the world hope you know opens up and you start seeing the whole, the photography from a whole different way. I mean, is your sure. are you uh, is this just because of Kobe's retirement, or is it because of something, or you just sort of a uh, 
summarizing your career up, retiring? What's what's the? You mean this like this publicity push right now? Yeah, Is that yeah, what you mean? yeah. Um, well, it's it's a couple of things. Um, yeah, I was very honored to uh, to be uh, well, to receive the the Gowdy Award at the Basketball Mason of Basketball Hall of Fame. Yeah. in September. Um, you know, it's only the second photographer the, to receive that award. It's you know, it's pretty amazing thing that I never thought I would ever, it wasn't even on my radar screen, you know. So that was a pretty cool thing. And then concurrently with the book coming out like a month later, um, to kind of have a little push on the publicity side. And I have a great publicist um, and she and I, you know, kind of mapped out, you know, what our strategy was going to be and with the publisher of the book. And the, the book is doing phenomenally well. Um, thank goodness it, uh, it debuted at number two on the New York Times bestseller list wow. last week. Yeah, which is crazy after eight days. I mean, it was on, you know, completely like sold out and stuff. So, um, you know, it's been a, been a great career. 37, this is my 37th season. Um, but the Hall of Fame thing kind of uh, solidified uh, a very nostalgic look backwards. And then the book also gave me a chance to really reflect on a, a, a big chunk of time, a 20-year period working with this amazing, iconic athlete. Um, so uh, that's, you know, kind of in a nutshell why why we made this publicity push. Um, and it's, you know, it's great. It's going well. And we had a couple of great events that Kobe attended um, last week. And again, the book is, you know, we haven't even hit the holiday the holiday uh, shopping period yet stocking over here yeah so it's going to go a little nuts i think and 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 now i'm hearing that the book is has been sold to countries is going to be translated i mean it's like you know a lot of things so he's he's so beloved all over the world um you know of course by laker fans here in l.a but when i travel with him you know throughout the world especially europe and asia he's you know he's just he's he's second to none honestly i mean lebron had a great quote as i remember in 2008 when we went to beijing for a pre-olympic uh, event and it, it literally was like the, the pope elvis and the beatles you know showed up at the same time <laughs> and it was really all for kobe and uh lebron lebron had a great line he said uh Man, I thought I was big in China till I showed up with Kobe. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, it, it, and that's still the way it is today. He's uh, he commands in, incredible love and, and um, respect, and he accomplished so much. So the mission of the book really is to kind of delve into what made him tick, and it's from his own perspective. You know, supplement. I mean, uh, supported by my photos and. Um, you know, it was a great collaboration. It was really a truly a un very, very unique collaboration, if you think about it. Um, we will come. Can we just like, I'd like to go when, when I, you know, I'm not sure if you're familiar with my work, with my podcast. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, like, I'd like to. A couple to, of them. Cool. Well, I just, one of the things I, you know, because when I started photography, I didn't really have, there wasn't that many resources, you know what I mean? You could buy books or whatever like that, but I wanted sort of like a. Yeah. An audio, you know, I was thinking about video, but mm -hmm. audio was probably the easiest way just to sort of to give people an insight, like how do they get in? So 
you know, what's I'll, sure. I'll start with my sort of standard question, like at the start, like when did it start for you? When when was that first time that you thought, you know what, I um I want to take a picture, or is there something mm-hmm. that stands out from your past from with that? Oh yeah, for sure, there was definitely uh, an aha moment, you know, yeah, <laughs> a revelation. Uh, my dad and I made a trip to the western United States. I was born in, in Brooklyn, in New York, and I was. Uh, I had a summer when I was 14 in front of me that my dad and I decided to uh, make a trip to these uh, national parks for a couple of weeks. And he bought me a, an old Canon TL camera, yeah, you know, an old clunker, um, all, of course, all manual, everything. And um, I'd never taken a picture of my life before that trip. And um, it's kind of a funny story, but my you'll probably appreciate this as a photographer, but and I think you had kind of a similar story from when I read something in your bio or something about kind of getting into photography at that around that age. Um, but I, uh, you know, back in the day, and, and you might not, this might predate you, but when you bought a roll of Kodachrome film, you could buy it with a mailer. You know, it had a, a yellow mailer, right? So you would shoot the film, you'd put the film in the prepaid mailer, it would go off to Rochester, right? You'd put your name on on the return and by some miracle you know a yellow slide box would show up at your house at some point you know a couple of weeks later that had slides in it so i don't know if you ever did that but that's was kind of the way my dad and i decided to, to you know to do our trip so we bought a whole bunch of kodachrome with all these mailers and as we're going through and, and he my dad was a doctor but he he thought he was an amateur everything you know his amateur car- carpenter <laughs> He's an amateur hockey player. He's an amateur photographer. You know, he's always thought he was like the top of, of what, you know, whatever he was setting out to do. Um, and he had had a hankering for photography and, and you know, used to shoot 16 millimeter, you know, movies when we were young and all that. So anyway, we're going through these national parks and we're shooting film and he's putting film in his mailer and sending it off and I'm putting him up. You know, Yellowstone or, um, you know, Grand Canyon, uh, Yosemite, wherever. And we come back and, you know, film is starting to come in. And after, I don't know, a a week or so, there's like 50, 60 of these boxes just sitting there waiting for us. And we start, my dad starts opening up one of the boxes. And the next one, he goes, oh, these pictures are unbelievable. Look at this Mount Rainier and look at... Look at this this framing and how I took these shots of of the of Old Faithful at Yellowstone and and Grand Teton and I say well hold, hold on Pop let me look at those let me look at that that roll and I start looking through it and there lo and behold there's pictures of him in the roll right so so I said Dad I hate to tell you but I shot this roll. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll never forget the look on his face. He's like, you, you, you little shit. You know, it's like, okay, you got me. You know, and, and he, he would, it was like a mixture of, of him being sort of embarrassed, but also very proud of the fact that it was his idea to give, bring me, you know, give, give me a camera and light the spark and that the kid actually had some talent, you know? Um, <laughs> and that was really the start of it and really took off from there. I mean, that was, uh, I was going into, Let's see. I think I was going into tenth grade, yep. and I had a very good friend um, named Andrew Feldman, who had a dark room in his basement, you know, in oh. Brooklyn. I mean, that was like unheard yeah. of. And, Gold uh, mine. 
Yeah, and, and I remember the very first time he showed me like how a print gets made, you know, and watching that magic happen as it just like appears, literally a magical experience. I you agree. Know, it's appearing <laughs> under the, under this under this you know yellow light, and uh, yeah, it just took off from there. You know, I did a lot of stuff in high school. And always had a camera around my neck, like every single day, and took pictures of everything. I went to a huge high school in Brooklyn. Then I ended up going to the University of Massachusetts, where there were no formal photography classes, but um, we did have a daily newspaper. So I gravitated very quickly to that, and was shooting all kinds of assignments, everything from uh, news assignments to sports to feature stuff to uh, theater and. I was, you know, quite a hustler in those days, so I was able to kind of parlay my photography skill into making a little bit of money, you know, working for the sororities and fraternities and parties, and and, and the um, I did some stuff for the, um, the theater and dance department, you know, where I would shoot a, um, some of their um, productions and then sell the photos, you know, to whoever. So I saw there was kind of like a business in it, but I, I wasn't learning, like, the real science of photography um the school unfortunately the school didn't really didn't have any classes in photography which i probably should have found out ahead of time so i ended up transferring to art center college of design in pasadena in california which is and still is probably the number one commercial art and design school in the united states um photography is actually their biggest program with the most students uh and from day one at Art Center, I was accepted on my portfolio, but from day one, I was it was completely discouraged from becoming a photojournalist or, God forbid, a sports photographer. Um, yeah, because all they, all they promoted was fashion and architecture and product and, you know, things that you could open a studio and, and make tons of money and the very elitist kind of way of looking at, at life and, and profession. But I had two teachers that believed in me and wouldn't let me give up and wasn't in my nature to give up anyway. You know, somebody tells me I can't do something. It just fuels me even more. And uh, they, they saw I had some talent. And one of my teachers introduced me to a Sports Illustrated staff photographer. Uh, he took me out uh, a couple of assignments. And then he introduced me to the local Los Angeles area Sports Illustrated guys. And that's how I really learned the ropes. Yeah. So I, I became... A hands-on assistant, and the the most valuable thing I learned was the uh, indoor strobe lighting technique of lighting indoor arenas with you know the big strobes, which nobody was doing except the Sports Illustrated in those days. So I quickly saw that that, that was that was a niche that was like a, a crack in the door that, that could get me in, and I worked my way into the forum with the Lakers and the Kings who played there. And they really liked the quality of the type of photography they were getting, you know, with the strobes. And and uh, when um, the NBA came calling in in uh, 1983, they they were going to have their All Star game at the Forum. Um, I got that gig, and uh, you know, been with the NBA ever since. <laughs> Honestly, and a year later, I became the Dodgers team photographer, and everything sort of took off from there so you've covered a lot of ground in that uh in that opening but like just just to go back just quickly so you've gone from 
finishing college and you know yeah. you've gone through the design school and all that kind of thing you've did mm-hmm. you get a job or were you just like you said uh, hustling i don't want to use that word too mm-hmm. often but hustling yeah. you're just sort of uh-huh. making money making ends meet uh, you know yep. just paying the bills with whatever jobs you could come up you know whether it be portraits or, or yeah. news jobs anything like that is that right sure yeah yeah i mean i was doing anything and everything um i was shooting weddings with a friend of mine uh was doing uh, whatever could come my way that could like you said pay the rent and pay my tuition because by that point uh i'd used up my my dad's uh goodwill and in, in, in terms of <laughs> paying for college because i you know we had a four-year deal and i was going into my fifth year of college and uh you know because i had transferred so it was kind of all on me i was able to get a half scholarship at art center which was great um but yeah, that was that was pretty much it. You mentioned obviously Sports Illustrated, which I'm sure mm-hmm. every person who listens to this podcast will know um, was sort of like the pinnacle of sports photography for many many years, and mm-hmm. yep. still is you know very highly rated, obviously with its uh, quality of photographers and uh, photography. And how was uh, the guys? I mean, I don't, I don't mind if you name them, but like how, sure. the guys that sort of like heavily influenced you back then, obviously. You've like you said, you've shattered these guys, and sure, sure, yeah. Well, it was Lane Stewart who was um, a staff photographer that I was introduced to by my teacher Bill Robbins from Art Center, and Bill had actually, I think, assisted Lane when uh, he was a young photographer. Lane was was um, was a production kind of guy. He was not an action photographer. He was he was the guy that Sports Illustrated would send when there was a major production to be done or set to be built. Um, you know intricate portraits uh things like that he was very much a studio kind of guy um i mean he had his had his day shooting sports you know action sports as well but that wasn't his thing so the very first assignment was uh, kind of ironically was um doing this two-page spread uh for sports illustrated where he hired me to be uh the fourth assistant on this on this shoot, which involved building a set and a soundstage of a, of a classroom, looked like exactly like a classroom. And the Lakers then came in and, and it was basically the, 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 the title was uh, Lakers go back to school or something. And, you know, I really, I learned a lot of things on that shoot. You know, I learned how to work, you know, as part of a group and, and what my role would be and see what everyone else did and how he interacted with the players and the PR people and everything. Um, but then Lane introduced me to um, three guys in L.A., in the L.A. area, uh, Andy Haight, uh, Peter Reed Miller, and Richard Maxson, who were the action guys. So these are the guys who every single week were going out, you know, shooting everything and anything in the, the, the very large L.A. area. I mean, basically <clears throat> from... Uh, you know, almost San Francisco or Santa Barbara down to San Diego and as east as kind of Phoenix and, and Salt Lake City, like that kind of region. <clears throat> and <clears throat> I was I was trained by an incredible lighting tech named David Keith. And David was like it was a mountain climber. So he would literally like shimmy out on I-beams at and the re- I mean, really, without a lifeline, the guy was out of his mind. But <laughs> but but I learned how he was a great teacher, and he taught me everything I needed to know about installing strobes. And you know, in those days, let's say it was tonight, um, 
photographer was assigned tonight's Laker game, we would go in, the assistants would go in at uh, about 10.30, 11 o'clock in the morning, and we would rope the strobes or if, if, it, if the arena had some kind of elevator, which none of them did, or walk them up or whatever. And, you know, these things are heavy. They're like, you know, whatever, like 60 pounds with the heads and the clamps and cables and wire and all that stuff. And we'd have to hump that up somehow to the catwalk, set it all up, get it all working. And by around one thirty, two o'clock, the photographer would come and we'd get him all situated and everything working and tested. Um, and then do basic camera assisting during the game, changing film, um, whatever he needed to do, if he had to switch ends or whatever. You know, we set up the remote cameras, of course, and then break it all down, pack it all up and, uh, you know, be ready for the next night, next game. Um, a lot of times in those days, one of us would have to collect all the film right after the game and rush to the airport and, and put it on a plane back to New York because that's where it was processed at the Time Life Lab in New York. Um, so, you know, it was a different world, <laughs> but it taught me... Um, there's no better training. I mean, it really was, you know, on the ground in the so job. This, training. Been the mid, this is about the mid eighties. Then you'd say this is, uh, the early eighties. Yeah. This is, this is uh, essentially like, um, 79 to about 82 ish. Yeah. And then I, you know, I started shooting professionally. I graduated in January of 81. I'd already started shooting some stuff on my own professionally and making some money, but, um, yeah, my full-time career when I stopped assisting was basically, I would say around the 81, 82 season, you know, when I, when I went out on my own as a photographer and didn't assist anymore. And refresh my uh, memory, uh, was that sort of the Magic Johnson or was that a bit before then that was that the, the Lakers Celtic sort of era? Yeah. I, yeah. Showtime had just, uh, gotten off the ground and, um, you know, Magic was drafted in, uh, I think it was drafted in 79 or 80 or something. So, you know, I, my career, his career basically started at the same time. We, we joke about that we were rookies together, you know. <laughs> but that was, yeah, the great Celtic-Laker rivalry. Um, the first real championship that I shot the whole the whole way was, uh, I believe, was 83 when, um, 82-83 when Philadelphia won the championship. Maybe it was 82, I don't remember. But um, that was Dr. J's first and only NBA championship. Yeah, and so I, I started to become like some kind of de facto official NBA photographer. They they called on me for pictures, and I would – I don't even remember. We didn't even have FedEx in those days. It was some method of shipping pictures back. I don't know if it's you know, U.S. Express Mail or something. I don't know. But um, the NBA was helping me get credentials, and then I, in turn, was providing photos, and they paid me a little bit here and there. And then I was a very, very, very small mom-and-pop picture agency um, that I started in my garage where other entities were calling me, you know, basketball magazines or sports magazines or trading card companies, posters. So I became kind of like the place to go, especially for West Coast stuff. Um, a lot of these companies were based in the East Coast, and they didn't see the Lakers more than once or twice a season, you know. Um, so I was kind of known to have that material. And then, of course, Wayne Gretzky came, and hockey took off, and 
on the West Coast. So I was in a you know in the right place at the right time for sure. The NBA, like again, I'm not familiar with the American format. So the NBA would hire photographers from for every game, or no, 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 no. Yeah, no. Back in the day, um, each team had their own team photographer, each local team. And it was very, uh, it's kind of archaic um, and it's very limiting. So if, if you're the, let's say you're the Knicks in New York, right? And you have your team photographer, you're, you're only seeing the photos that he shoots his, at home in Madison Square Garden. You're not seeing, um, the team never got to see pictures that were, weren't shot in their building. So uh-huh. fast forward a bunch of years to like the late, uh, well, I guess it was like the mid-90s or so. Um, after we established NBA Photos as an entity, the NBA um, started a program called the Team Photography Program, where the NBA would would hire, <clears throat> as an independent contractor, they would hire the photographer in the local market, or they would essentially absorb the photographer that had been there you know, before they start, this whole thing started. That photographer was paid by and by the NBA, and you know basically as a freelancer. But you know you knew how much you were going to work based on the season and stuff. Yeah. And why that was attractive to the teams was that now the teams got to see their team playing in every other arena in the NBA, and the NBA was NBA photos became sort of the clearinghouse, um, a picture agency within the league, but also with all the licensees. All the all the media, all the entities that were now buying and needing NBA photography. So it was a brilliant move by the NBA to, uh, you know, to start NBA photos. I was part of that. I was actually one of the two people who brought that idea to the NBA to start um, a division of NBA Entertainment called uh, NBA Photos um, and centralize uh, where where NBA photography is coming from. And then they offered me to become the first official NBA photographer concurrently with that in, in 86. And that led to becoming a, an employee down the road um, a few years later. Uh, I was still running my own company, which was doing everything else besides NBA stuff in L.A. You know, we were doing baseball. We were doing hockey. Uh, I was working for two or three of the major venues in, in town. So it was really um, – yeah, you know, the best of both worlds. So were you uh, you were an MBA mm-hmm. staff employee yes. as well as running your own business. And, yes. And when you said you were like doing all, the, obviously you weren't doing all these games and venues by yourself. You no, did you have no. a you had a team of photographers working yeah. for you then as well? Yeah, I had uh, yeah I had a great team. Um, a couple of guys were employees. A couple of guys were freelance. Uh, had some support staff because, you know, remember this is the film day, so we needed people to edit and imprint the slides and, and catalog them and file them. And then when we got requests, somebody had to actually fill, fulfill those requests. So I had a pretty active group going. It was, uh, oh man, at the, at the time we had a nice office with a little studio, which we never shot anything in the studio we actually used to we used to play hockey in the studio <laughs> uh, we used to play floor hockey in the studio which was kind of fun uh, but i probably had at one point at the height of it like maybe you know six or seven people like mixed of full-time and and uh and part-time and you know um some guys were really good at hockey some guys 
we were good at basketball. I had a great young guy who was great at, at everything, baseball and football, especially John Suhu, who you might have heard of. And John, John was my one of my earliest assistants, um, came out of USC in 1984. And John has now been the longtime Dodgers photographer. After I left, um, I basically willed the job over to him. And, uh, man, he's been with the Dodgers since, well, since he started with me in 84. So that's a long time. Um, but on his own since 95. So one of the, the longest tenured team photographers in the league. I mean, incredibly, incredibly well-respected and, and a great guy. And then there's other photographers who other team photographers in the NBA who came through my, my system. Um, Barry Gossage was one of my earliest assistants and it's been the longtime Phoenix Suns team photographer. Um, Garrett Elwood, same thing. Um, been, he, he's now, uh, been with Denver. I, I, I don't even know how long, like 15, 20 years, I guess. Um, Noah Graham was with me for 11 or 12 years and now he's been the Warriors photographer for the last, uh, four or five years. Um, so it's been, you know, a good training ground and, um, these guys, you know, work their way You're up. leaving quite a legacy, aren't you? You've got not just books and, uh, yeah, know. well, but it is about, it is about that. I mean, I, I truly believe in, well, I truly believe in recognizing talent and then rewarding them. I, you know, I know when it's time for somebody to move on, like they've gotten enough out of working with me that it's time. The problem with my business, as you know very well, our business is that team photography jobs are very, very few and far between. Vacancies happen, you know, <laughs> very infrequently. I mean, of the of the 30 team photographers, well, it's actually 26 team photographers because Nat Butler does two in New York and I do two in L.A. Um, probably more than half of us have been with our teams 20 years or more. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, unless somebody decides to retire, move on, or unfortunately we just had a, a dear friend pass away, um, those vacancies don't come up. You know, we've, very rarely do we have a team who wants to move away from the photographer that they have. You know, that, that has happened a, a couple of three times. But um, the NBA always hires a photographer in, in the local market with the blessing of the team. Like I said, it's either – somebody who's been grandfathered in or you know a young person who is eager who the team really likes um or somebody who wants to move from another market you know an established photographer we've had that a couple of times well it's all uh, trust isn't it i mean it's such a level of yeah. trust that that the clubs uh, and especially the uh, the athletes have to put in these uh, these photographers so yeah. yeah if they don't have that then of course yeah yeah, there's, you know, things can go wrong very, very quickly. And, you know, just quickly, that's yeah. one of yeah. the reasons I left mm -hmm. Australia, actually, just because, you know, I always wanted a job at one of the big papers. There's only a few big papers in Melbourne. And, you know, those guys, mm -hmm. when I signed up, when I, this is going back, you know, they, most of these guys are not, they're freelancers now for the newspapers because, you know, the, yeah. the yeah. digital age has changed that. But, you know, those guys have been in the job 20 years plus and there was just not those oh, positions yeah. coming up. So, no, no, they're going away faster, much faster than they're being created, unfortunately. Oh, sure. And we're a dying breed. Um, staff photographers, you, you mentioned Sports Illustrated. We talked about them earlier. Yeah. I mean, these are the the, the, the top of the line uh, photographers, sports photographers in the world. And 
you know, their staff was eliminated. So, yeah, you know, that's only been recently as well, hasn't it? In the last yeah. year or two or something. Yeah, yeah. It's a, yeah. But you're seeing it across the board. Major newspapers oh, yeah. in Chicago, LA Times, uh, New York, every, you know, everywhere. So it's sad. And um, even a few of the agencies, especially in the States, I think that's all changed as well over there with uh, Reuters or one of the agencies anyway. I can't yes, exactly Reuters it. for sure. Yeah, one of my great friends, you probably know her, Lucy Nicholson, works for yep. Reuters. Yeah. And uh, somehow she's been able to hold on, you know, because she's really, really good. But it's, you know, it's a tightrope that they're walking. I met her at the uh, Winter Olympics, actually. I was doing some uh, figure skating. With Lucy, mm-hmm, she was mm-hmm. telling me how she uh, lives in LA. So now Lucy's one of the greatest and just a great person. But you know, you had mentioned trust, and trust is one of those a- one of those aspects. I mean, obviously, you have to be really good as a photographer. You have to be a good business person. Um, you have to know how to uh, be and act and present yourself in a professional way around uh, teams and organizations because they're big corporations you know it's not like the old days where it was you know like the wild west and you know you'd sit around and be drinking beers with the owner after a game i mean that stuff doesn't happen anymore and these are big corporations that um require an incredible level of professionalism qualities that i um, encourage and and lead by example. And when I teach, I teach a class of sport, a sports photography class, and I love a class at a university. Um, I try to point out that look, you could be the greatest photographer of all time, but if you're a douche, <laughs> or you're a, or you're arrogant, or you can't, or nobody can work with you. Um, you're gonna go hungry, you know, and uh, tone it down. And, you know, these millennials, I mean, I hate to sound like my grandfather, but <laughs> um, they come, they have a different perspective. And you're, you're raising kids. I don't know how old your kids are, but I have kids in my 20s, in their 20s. And, uh, you know, it's just a different way of looking at it. There's an entitlement. There's a, like, you know, this sort of chip on their shoulder kind of thing. Um the world owes it's okay something. to have a chip on your shoulder <laughs> yeah there's there is yeah it's an entitlement it's an entitlement this generation sort of got got lost in the middle i think between generation x and and even you know, i have a younger i have a 10 year old and, and her generation has a lot more i don't know i guess personal responsibility and accountability than, than that generation did but anyway whatever it's, it's a whole other discussion but I try to kind of instill those values in, in whoever's working with me. And, and uh, so when it becomes their turn, you know, it's, it should be a natural progression, you know. And service is a – I define service in a lot of different ways. But service is giving back and giving back to the to the community that I work with, to, to my profession. I take a lot of pride in and who's out there representing the NBA. Um, and if they came, you know, out of my stable and that's great. I'm happy for them. Going back to the, the club, uh, you know, you're representing, you know, you are, you are a staff member of the, 
of the club itself. Mm-hmm. You, mm-hmm. you know, because I I had a, a previous guest of mine um, was the team photographer from Arsenal Football Club in uh, in London. Sure. Yeah. Uh, soccer soccer club. Sorry yeah. for our American yeah, listeners. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and you know, one of the things that he was saying that was, you know, it's not just you know the action. It's not just you know the training sessions. Is mm-hmm. also you know there's lots of corporate jobs. I mean, is that you taking care of all the like you know you'd get in major sponsors. Uh, you know, they'd be sending you over there. You know the the big uh, mm-hmm. you know the, the the leaders of you know massive investors in in sure the, yeah yeah the, you're dealing with all these kind of people I mean is that something you were doing yourself or, or? yeah yeah no we um, yeah I was doing all of that and we still do that I mean AEG which is the parent company for Staples Center and they own the LA Kings and LA Live you know huge company uh, they own the O2 in London a million you know they got their hands in a million it's a very very corporate environment so you know one day i could be shooting a an la kings game you know at the o2 arena you know um in london and then that same night have to go you know photograph mr anschutz who's the head of a uh, sponsor event or you know bankers uh press conference or whatever the hell it is you know and you got to know you got to you got to know that you got to be dressed for it you have to conduct yourself in in a you know, in a professional way, and because you're represent not only are you representing your yourself and your company if you have one, but you're ultimately re- representing your client's company. And uh, when you're you have the title of, like I hold the title of director of photography for AEG here, you know, I take that very seriously because that comes as, with as a, you should, yeah, yeah, it comes Definitely. with a responsibility. It's not just the title, you know, it's it, it actually means something. Um, so I have to, have to kind of ramp up all of those, um, those attributes that you have to have in order to be a professional and, you know, by the way, produce top of the line photography, (laughs) which is kind of a given. (laughs) So, (laughs) you know, you mentioned there, you know, again, all my guests say the same thing, you know, there's no such thing as a normal day in sports photography, you know, Mm -hmm. like you said, you know, one day, you know, one day I'm doing. You know, today I was doing portraits, and yesterday I was doing a football match. You know, in front of you know right. thirty-five thousand crazy fans. Yeah. So for you, like, I mean, again, I'm going to use this term very loosely, and I'm doing going to do air quotes of normal. What's a normal day like? You know, obviously, you is an eighty-four, eighty-two game <laughs> regular season. Is yeah, it you eight, so eighty-two games. Um, eighty-two regular season. So what's just give me a you know, you know, the Bulls are in town, or you know, whoever. They're coming over. So how sure. how is your normal? How's the how's a normal day for uh, you start with? Uh, you know. Yeah, for sure. Well, it's a little bit uh, different right now because um, I'm I'm juggling a bunch of different things right now. Like, um, you know, doing publicity for the book, which is great, which I love doing, and managing my my business. Did you have to add that I love doing it thing in there? Was that part of it? Was that contractually? A, no, I do. I do love. <laughs> I do love doing it. I mean, I I love. Look, this was a you know, a labor of love doing this book with Kobe, and to be able to talk about it with people who are interested, and then try to get uh, other people who are listening or watching it or whatever you know interested in the book is great. Um, I'm st- <laughs> I got my my Bernstein Associates business, which is. In very capable hands of my office manager, Kristen, who manages everything day to day with scheduling and and all that, taking care of the clients and fulfillment. Um, So she basically runs that on a day to day basis. And 
uh, I have a podcast, a weekly podcast like you do. So we're on a hiatus right now, but that's usually a, you know, a big chunk of my week is devoted to getting ready for the podcast and actually recording it. So I have a producer who helps me with that. And that's a lot of work, isn't it as well? Yeah. And that's part, yes. And that's part of my, uh, my overall sort of next life, which is, is, uh, starting this platform called legends of sport. So yes. my, yeah, so my, my, um, podcast is a kind of kicking off of that social media. And so we have a few irons in the fire with legends of sport. We just made a, uh, production deal with a company in China where we're going to be doing stuff for them. And it's like a lot of stuff happening. And then, wow. so, so then you get to like, okay, what is actually happening today that is right in front of me, which is tonight's game. Right. So, yeah. So to answer your question, on, on a normal day, you know, I'd be home, I would take my little one to school, which I just did right before I talked to you. And uh, I'd go in the office, do a few hours of, of work in the office uh, with Kristen. And um, usually I head down to Staples Center for 7.30 game. I get down there around 3 o'clock. Um, my assistant is usually there around 1.00. And he's getting all the cameras ready uh, for, in our multiple camera remote system, which takes about it's a good three hour setup for him. Um, I have a helper, so it's it's uh, one guy plus a helper and a digital tech. And um, by the time I get down there, everything's pretty much set up or on the way to being set up. Um, because we do uh, seven remote cameras every game. Yeah. You beat me to you beat me to the question. Yeah. I was going to get to that. Yeah, <laughs> Se- yeah, seven remotes. I got you know three cameras in front of me. Um, tonight is a, is an additional wrinkle because the Lakers signed a new player, so we have to do a portrait session with this guy before the game in a, in a whole other you know portrait setup location you know in, inside Staples, <clears throat> and then. Um, you know, with LeBron being here, it, it you know it just ramps a lot a lot of things up. You know, we have to shoot the players arriving now every game. That's become you know part of what we do. We didn't used to have to do that. Uh, so you know, the players coming in and whatever they're dressed in, getting off the bus and stuff. Yeah, all that stuff. On, that yeah, kind of thing. yeah, that used to be very infrequent. And usually, honestly, when the bigger stars would come, but now it's every single game with every with every team. Um, and then the game. I'm um, gonna. Can I just yeah. go on a little bit of a? I, I don't uh, like we we do that as well for Champions League and all these kind of you know again soccer soccer games big soccer matches over here. But uh-huh. I mean again it's just something for me. But do you those there are you know we are, we are pumping out so many pictures as well. Like what uh, do you see? between you know between us the value mm. of these pictures like i understand like you said when you know when you know jordan would show up or whatever yeah. like you know big players obviously that's you know it's a you know it's sort of like documenting but for every single game well every single time the bus play coming off buses or whatever it is i mean does that well a couple you, you of see, you a see cu- my point of view yeah here, there's a couple just, answers there one is that that tv is shooting it every game yeah so if yeah in my experience if tv shoot that that Whoever I'm working for wants to see it too, you know. Um, yeah. It used to be good answer. It, it used to be that um, we would shoot this stuff to sort of preview the game, like you know, 
oh, here are the bulls showing up for the game type of thing. But now it's it's really fashion oriented, um, at All least right. for us. Okay. And the shoes, yeah. the shoes are like gold because these guys are wearing different shoes when they arrive. They wear different shoes when they warm up. They wear different shoes in the first half, different shoes in the second half. I mean, it's, <laughs> it, it's truly in, insane what's going on. And oh, God, Russell Westbrook sorry. kind of started. I feel so old right now. Yeah, I know. Me too. <laughs> uh, Russell Westbrook really started the whole fashion kind of side of that. I mean, other guys were doing it, but. When he would arrive every single game, it was a fashion statement. And, you know, now we have marching orders from everyone from GQ to uh, to specific clothes li- uh, clothing lines. Like, I'll get an email in the afternoon, so-and-so is showing up in so- so-and-so brand. Like, their publicist will tip off the NBA editor or NBA entertainment that, hey, you know, so-and-so's coming in, whatever, um, and so and maybe the NBA has a partnership with that particular brand. So, yeah. you know, so we have to shoot that. Um, okay. So it, it is what it is, you know. Um, doesn't thrill me, but um, it, it does give me a chance to say hi to some of the guys that I, you know, have relationships with, and that's kind of cool, too. Yeah, that's uh, that's uh, yeah, that's a very comprehensive answer, which I didn't uh, – <laughs> I never thought of that side of it either. Yeah, that uh, – yeah, obviously the – headphones is a big one at the moment sure you know, all the players coming off within you know right. they're all sponsored and stuff like that but yeah i didn't think of the yeah the fashion side of it it's probably something that'll catch on in the uh, european football side of it because normally they're just coming off in their own uh, track suits but once uh, a few players start showing up with their own mm-hmm. label branding clothing yeah whatever it may be yeah yeah for sure we're, i'm, we're I'm probably, surprised we're that probably hitting that, that branch i'm i'm surprised that hasn't happened i mean with beckham and and his uh you know, incredible reach um, when he was playing and his sense of fashion or whatever watch he was wearing or whatever, you know. Um, oh, my God. Yeah. Whatever he touched was yeah, the hottest item in yeah. the shop the following day. Yeah, so. well, it still, still <laughs> is. Believe me, he's uh, he's unbelievable, that guy. Yeah. Let's go back again. Sorry. Uh, yeah. Bus arrivals. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the players have come off the bus and then you do some of the – you do shoot some of the warm-up or – Yeah, we shoot some warm-up or there's, you know, coaches' press conference before every game. Um, lately, I've been going into the locker room during the media availability time because – Yep. Uh, sometimes, sometimes LeBron is in there holding court or at least, you know, usually we're standing around like a bunch of idiots looking at empty lockers, but, um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I shoot some of the warmups. Um, and I like doing that. It kind of gets, gets kind of me going and into game mode. And then of course the game starts and, and then it's, you know, er- everything happens in that 48 minutes. And then after you do the press conference after the match and I, d- I don't usually, until we get to playoffs, um, I'll, I don't shoot pl- a press conference with the coaches, but I do go in the locker room now. If it's a Laker game uh, during media availability time, when they let the media in, because LeBron has been doing his media availability in the locker room. Um, okay. so it's a crazy scene in these tiny little locker rooms with, you know, 75 media people jammed in, you know, watching, <laughs> watching LeBron change clothes. I mean, it's like whatever, but, <laughs> but it's what they expect me to do and I'll do it. <laughs> like you said, um, when you first started to what you're seeing now, I mean, you, the, obviously the, the amount of images we are producing from a match, you know, what just 
quickly, like when you were shooting these games in the uh, you know mid eighties, uh-huh. early you know late uh, late eighties, you know, was it you know two rolls, three rolls of film from a match, or was it uh, huh. you know what, what was the sort of output that compared to again, I know different time and mm-hmm. my my thing, I love. I love the old guys, you know, the manual focus film. Yeah. For me, there's something so, you know, I don't think there's many photographers right now who could, you know, give them a manual camera and they won't know what to do. You know what I mean? Like the camera does so much for you now. Oh, yeah. That, yeah, for sure. So, yeah, I don't what, know if I, was it, I don't know if I'd be able to shoot with a manual camera right now. I, I've tried it recently. Yeah. It was, it was, it was tough. Yeah, <laughs> it's hard. It right now. Yeah. It was tough. But um, yeah, so what, what was the, what were you turning out like, you know, in the, in the mid eight, mid eighties, so, you know, what was a, yeah, that's a great a question. I mean, it, um, it, it's like a kind of a threefold answer because when I first started, we weren't able to shoot with multiple cameras on remote. So you would, you would have maybe one remote camera that you would have to decide where you wanted to put it, you know, through the glass of the backboard or on the backboard stanchion or something. Um, so in those days, maybe we were shooting, maybe I was shooting, uh, you know, with the, my handheld cameras and a remote camera, one roll per half, you know, maybe a dozen rolls of film, maybe at the most. Okay. Then we started to develop this multiple camera system that is triggered by radio. The, the, you've probably seen them, the wizard system. And, yeah, the pocket wizards. Yeah, but this is the, the flash wizard to the big keypad units. And you you can actually do the same thing with the pocket wizards now, but not until recently were you able to. So that system allows you to shoot almost an infinite number of remote cameras on the same strobe burst. Um, And that was developed by uh, some, some incredibly gifted engineers at MIT, believe it or not. Uh, We, we are indeed that with them for a couple of years until they perfected it. So then, you know, things started getting ramped up because you would shoot, you know, basically you could, almost shoot a roll per camera per quarter. So by then it's, you know, you're shooting about 35, 40 rolls um, of an average game of film. And then when you get to an all-star game or a finals, then that would, I think my record was, was like 65 rolls or something in a game, um, Whoa. which is a lot, <laughs> you know, that's a lot. Yeah. And yes. you multiply that. Well, 35, you know, we're shooting, 36 frames and, and then it was shooting uh, two and a quarter of uh, 24 frames. So whatever that math is, you know, that was, that was a lot. Um, and that hasn't really changed. Honestly, that's about the same amount that I shoot digitally now. Um, you know, my, my process of how I shoot is still basically the same because I'm shooting on strobe. So I get one frame every four seconds and yeah. my <clears throat> technique of how I fire the remotes is the same as it was back in the film days. So it's about the same. I would say probably, uh, I don't know, maybe a thousand frames, a thousand images. Um, I don't know what that is. Probably five or six gigs, maybe more. Yeah. You know, per game. It's all shoot on. Everything's raw. You shoot everything raw. Well, we shoot. It's interesting because we, we are all about speed, just yeah. like you are probably as well. Yes. Although the NBA, so that you know that means we shoot jpeg but we also shoot raw on some of the cameras because the nba and some of their clients need raw in order to uh do whatever they do with them post-production <clears throat> yeah. but we're not transmitting the raws we're transmitting the jpegs only yeah that's like us we do the same right. thing getty it's all it's all jpeg yeah and then my editor will go through and we have specific parameters for the raws like 
what the photo, you know, it's got to be an isolated action photo, blah, 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 blah. So he'll just choose a very select number, some maybe 30 or 40 of all those of the entire take um, yeah. to send his raw back to, you know. And then our stuff goes, is either tethered um, directly from the camera back to NBA photos to an editor in New Jersey, or my we have three or four cameras that are not tethered, so the, the tech goes and gets the card at, at the quarter or at halftime, and then he ingests it and sends it back to that same editor. And that editor is quickly ingesting them and, and captioning the selects and then sending those to Getty. So it's, it's essentially live coverage, as close to live as we can get at the NBA with having the middleman, uh, you know, the editor at NBA Photos. Yeah, because Getty, yeah, uh, Getty has a deal with uh, NBA, yeah. so we distribute all your stuff. Uh, well, not just yours, all the NBA yeah. stuff, and we yeah. see, um, yeah, all the portraits at the start of the mm -hmm. season, everything. and all, all the new players, yeah. everything, yeah. everything goes through Getty as well now. Which is, I don't think it's been how long has it been going for? Maybe ten years? Uh, a little longer, probably yeah, twelve years, something like that. Yeah, um, you know, we shoot hockey games, NHL games are. We shoot directly. We send directly to Getty. My tech is is actually downloading off of an Ethernet line. Goes right to our production room. He'll select, and then it goes right to Getty. There's no like middleman. You know, it doesn't go to the NHL first, but the the NBA everything goes through them and then goes to Getty. Yeah. So okay. Yeah. I'm trying to get Bruce Bennett, who's a uh, oh yeah Bruce iconic yeah. Bruce legend. So he's going to be a guest on the show coming up. Oh, I soon, hope so. so yeah, uh, he's he's the greatest. Bruce is. One of my one of my friends, but somebody I've always admired for so many years. Love that guy. Uh, you don't swear as much as him, I should say. He's uh, I've got to keep yeah. him. Uh, I've got yeah. to keep him. I want to try and keep the show PG. Yeah, he's hilarious. <laughs> I love. I love. But he's he's an amazing photographer, and has <clears throat> the limitless energy I wish I had. Because every time I look up, this guy is like at another hockey game. Um, in another arena, another city, it's really unbelievable. Well, he had a brutal um, schedule at the Winter Olympics, mm. doing every hockey match, and yeah, yeah, he just he did it. Yeah, I don't know, <laughs> I yeah. don't know how, yeah. but he did it all. No, I mean, I've been insane there. Insane how many games he did. Yeah, when we were shooting for FIBA, uh, you know, and NBA photos was also shooting for USA Basketball, but we were also shooting for FIBA back in the day and. Man, you'd go and shoot five, six games a day. It was, it was insane. I mean, I, it is insane. Yeah, it's good for TV. It's not good for the people that are working behind the TV cameras and the oh yeah, and the photographers. For sure, it's terrible for us. No, I remember in Sydney. I, I remember getting to the arena at like eight o'clock in the morning, and shooting five, six games, and not getting back to my hotel until two in the morning. You know, you have to. I mean, and that was the film days. You had to drop off the film, you know, somewhere and. Whatever, but it was, uh, yeah, it was pretty crazy. That doesn't change now, still the same. <laughs> those hours sound very familiar from doing those big events as well. Did yeah, you, they still, um, you, you still work. As, still work exactly the same. Yeah. Um, you mentioned you shot Canon at the start. I mean, are you still a Canon shooter? No, no. I, <clears throat> no, I, I switched very early in my career when, um, mm -hmm. when Nikon came out with the, I, I believe it was the FE2 camera. Which had okay, a yes. sync a sync speed of like a hundred and eightieth or something, which uh, Canon only had I think a ninetieth of a second uh, sync speed, so it was like that was groundbreaking. So some of us who had Canon photography, I only owned two cameras at the time, so it wasn't like a big switch. It wasn't a yeah, but, big um, investment or anything. Yeah. 
and then um, <clears throat> then that took off, and then they, I think Nikon was the first of the two companies to come out with the two fiftieth of a sync, which is you know that's we live for that high sync speed. Um, and then I started shooting Hasselblad at games, which had a five hundredth of a second sync speed, and of course a okay. whole different way of shooting. Um, so uh, yeah, I've been with Nikon now probably um, and uh, thirty five years or so, I guess. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And can you, um, like, uh, I've again on the show previous shows, I've always I've talked about remotes. You know, I set up remotes behind the goal, um, you uh -huh. know, soccer goals, yeah. um, you know, above the goal, side on, all that kind of stuff. You know, we don't have uh, obviously there's different grounds, so we have to pick up everything and move everything. I mean, do yeah. you you said you have seven cameras, so mm -hmm. you have mm -hmm. uh, behind the glass, straight behind. Yep. So the the remotes are um, behind the glass. Um, uh, at the top of the stanchion, you know, the vertical stanchion, there's an area where you can put the, put a camera. Um, I actually invented an angle, <laughs> which is uh, <laughs> okay. at the bottom of the pad of the stanchion, right? The vertical stanchion, you know, it's padded in the front. Um, I begged uh, the person I work with at Staples Center and MBA and whoever to let me cut a hole in that foam pad and stick a camera in there. So the camera is directly under the basket, right on the floor, but looking up and it's a perfectly symmetrical angle. You know, you're not coming. Yes. We used to do what was called the floor remote. We used to put a camera, Hasselblad or something, literally on the floor with an assistant sitting behind it um, on a floor plate or whatever, but players started falling on it and the NBA outlawed these floor remotes so i love that angle so much i had to think of how to do that so that's an angle now you see everywhere so but i'm honestly the first guy to, that did that so that's the third angle that's what we call you know the floor remote um then i have a camera on a railing like sort of to the side uh of the basket you know like where the fans sit or on the tv slash camera that they have yeah so that's mm -hmm. another one and then we have a camera with like a 300 lens on a tripod that's way up in the stands behind the basket, like basically okay. shooting through the glass, but, but you're seeing full body, you know, from floor to top of the backboard, which is okay. kind of a unique angle. It's a different, different angle. Um, we put one in the catwalk looking straight down. Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes I do two in the catwalk, one from an angle, one straight down. And then sometimes I put one... Um, sort of mid-court where the TV position is, where they shoot it at half-court elevated, uh, have one there sort of looking backwards, looking, not backwards, but looking on the side, so that if I get, you know, some kind of crazy reverse dunk or block shot, or sometimes even a dunk if it's coming that way looks really cool. Okay. And uh, is this on both baskets? Just on one basket. So I sit on, <clears throat> like at Staples, I sit on the Lakers or the Clippers home bench side and i have my like i, I have four rem four handheld cameras in front of me that i use and then um the remotes are all on the other end of the court so do have the capability of uh, i could put remotes and we used to put remotes on both sides of the court um it's it's a much bigger process and you miss some stuff because stuff that you should be shooting with your handheld like with the camera in your eye you 
shoot you shoot with the remote and then you get burned yeah. you know so we stopped doing that <laughs> well i mean yeah you said there's what seven plus cameras per match that you're that you're firing yeah. is that right yes. yes and they all fire at the same time so you know the, the goal is to get as many of those cameras to get a picture and as many of them as possible so that you could uh you know, record the same moment in time, but it's not the same picture, yeah. obviously, because it's from different angles, but it's the same moment, which is kind of cool. And, uh, and you're, so every time you're firing your handheld cameras, it's firing the remote cameras as well. Is that right? No, I, I have to choose. And again, you can, you can rig it so that when you shoot your handheld camera down court, for example, that that camera goes off and the remotes go off. Um, and I have done that. I've done that if you think about a dunk contest, you want your handheld that you're looking through to go off and the remotes to go off, right? So we have just a different way of wiring it that you can do that. Now I, I just have an auxiliary button attached to that long lens camera, and it's right next to the shutter, so I can choose one or the other. Usually, I you know if surround the basket, they're usually going to have that back to me anyway. So I choose the uh, the remote angle, you know, the remote option. And your and the four the four cameras you have in front of you, your what uh, lenses are you uh, what are you shooting on there? Well, the two main ones are the um, in the near court. The the two main ones are are tethered, you know, and those are sending images directly back to uh, NBA Photos in New Jersey. So one of them has a twenty eight to three hundred lens. That's for the okay. that's for the near court, and you know, think yeah, I'm sitting right under. The basket, so I need to have something that's wide that can go wide to long. And then I have I've been using lately. Um, I used to use, use a 200 to 400 on a monopod. Became a little bulky, um, so I, I started using their new uh, 80 to 400 that Nikon has, which I really like. It's a little heavy, you know, to handhold, but um, I like it because it's a little easier to manage. And then I have. Uh, I have a, what else do I have? I have a 24, um, no, a 17 to 35 that I use basically to walk around during pregame. I put my flash on there if I'm, you know, behind the scenes or whatever. And then I have another one with a 16 with a fisheye that I usually shoot uh, intros, um, huddles. Um, you know that kind of stuff. So, so when these huddles and stuff go on, or you know, if there's a timeout or something, you uh, uh, do you get? I'm guessing you get a little bit more access than the average. Uh, yeah. If I was to show up, yeah, yeah, you get yeah. a little bit more uh, freedom to move around. Like, you know, you're part of the furniture there, I guess, at the stadium. So, yeah, I guess you get to do whatever you want. Um, really. Not everything, but I, I do, I do, um, and I pick and choose my moments. Yeah, I don't always go in the huddle during a timeout. Uh, I'll go in once in a while, um, but I always shoot the intros. I always shoot that that huddle when they huddle up for the first time. Also in the back when they huddle before they run out, I shoot that as well because that's kind of cool. Then um, the guys running out. Sometimes I'll shoot, you know, the beginning of the running out or the end when they're high high fiving the fans when they come out. Um, and that way I don't have to be changing lenses and dicking around, you know, with stuff in the moment. You know, I have the four cameras right there, so I can just and and it, at games at laker games especially i have to jump up pretty pretty often um because part of what i do for the lakers as a team photographer i have to shoot on court stuff that you know presentations or uh contests or whatever they got going on um i have a guy who shoots that that's his only job is to shoot sponsorship stuff but he's from an elevated position 
so they need stuff me like right on the court and then of course you'll have your celebrities there so you got to get up and get that <laughs> so you know you want to be able to be mobile you do that all that stuff all the celebrity stuff you do that as well yeah and, and oh yeah yeah yep. okay yep yep that's a huge yeah, that's, thing i've noticed that yeah, I know. I've noticed that the last couple of years, especially when I go to France and do uh, tennis or even the PSG, Paris Saint-Germain football, they, mm-hmm. there's photographers there now who are only there to shoot the celebrities. Yeah, so yeah, absolutely. They have the press accredit, you know, the football accreditation to get in pitch side, and then they don't even watch the game at all. Yeah. All they do is just scan <laughs> I the, know. the thousands looking for the celebrities. And yep. yeah, yeah, think, we have a few I think of those. They do much. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm guessing. Yeah, you. Uh, LA has the largest uh, celebrity following oh, yeah. as well there, so yeah. it's a, it's a <laughs> yeah, and it's you know it's it's and it's 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 uh, challenging. I mean, you know, I'm constantly asking my assistant. I'm texting him because he's watching the game on live TV in in the production room. Like, who is TV showing? You know, if they show one of the Kardashians and they're not sitting courtside, I got to know where they are. You know, um, usually they're not anywhere near where I am. So I got to get up at some point with a long lens and I hate doing it, you know, being like the paparazzi kind of guy, but it is part of what I do. You know, if they're on the court, they're sitting on the court. um, I like to do more candidly than going up to them and asking for a picture, which not really my, my way, you know, but What's really gold for us at the NBA is when a player will come over and and say hi to Jack Nicholson or Denzel or something, or and we've hit, we had that recently, you know, a few times, especially with LeBron in town. So I just have to be aware all the time of what's going on because um, you know it happens in a second and you miss it, and then twelve other guys got the picture and they they come back to me and say, "Uh, where were you when that happened?" <laughs> <laughs> so i know the yeah it's a it's it's a definitely a, a growing part well growing it's been the big part for the business for the last maybe five or ten yeah, years now yeah. where we seem to be yeah yeah the celebrity side of it seems to be taking off i remember beyonce i think it was beyonce and uh david beckham actually showed up to a paris saint-germain match a few years ago yeah. now when uh and the amount of photographers that showed up yeah extra photographers i should say yeah, it's crazy it was it's insane. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, they just want to watch the match, but they also are very savvy, and they know they show up at a match like that, especially if they sit courtside at a Laker game on national TV. Um, they know they're going to be on. Oh the yeah, TV. that's a goldmine for them. <laughs> and it's funny how they act like most of them like so casual or like. I mean, I once had Barbara Streisand. I have nothing against Barbara Streisand. I always loved Barbara Streisand. She came to a game, one game, the only time I'd ever seen her in a game, and she sat there courtside with program in front of her face the entire game. I mean, why even come? I mean, you know, it's like, you know what I'm saying? If you're going to go, embrace it. You know, people obviously want to see you, and, and, and you want to be, you should want to be seen. Um, yeah, it's so silly. She's got a new album out, so I think so. Uh, <laughs> I saw her on a Sun TV show, so maybe she'll be back to get some more. Uh, yeah, we'll have to buy her a new program, get... <laughs> I guess. So, <laughs> um, last thing, just quickly on the on the strobes, because it's something I've never done before. It, though the lights, they stay up in the roof, do they? Well, and, yeah, know, this is just like giant yeah, flashes. Now... Are they like just um, they're just like pro photo? Or well, we use we use Speedatron. Um, we've been using Speedatron since the dark ages. You know, when I first started. 
as an assistant, that was they were the uh, the most durable because we would travel with them. In those days, no arena had strobes permanently in their catwalk. You would come in, put them in, <clears throat> maybe for two games, and then take them out. Usually, it was one game. Pack them up. Um, and again, you know, so that's a monster effort. No, it's a lot. Do. It's a lot of stuff. I mean, these they're yeah, heavy. That's huge, man. Just yeah, yeah. it's like twelve okay. big shipping cases of stuff with the clamps and the and the wiring and all the reflectors and all the crap that you have to have. You know, it's about six hundred pounds worth of stuff. Honestly, um, I know that because I've weighed them many times at air cargo facilities. But <laughs> I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> um, but fast forward to um, well, like. Yeah, I guess the the late 80s, early 90s, some of the arenas like the Forum, uh, we would put, the NBA started putting strobes in for me, and I, I had my own strobes. And then when the new arenas started being built, the new uh, generation of arenas in the uh, early 90s, all of those arenas were putting permanent sets of strobes in because they saw it as a revenue opportunity. They would rent the strobes out. So, oh, right. so Sports okay. Illustrated would no longer come in and put their strobes in. They would rent them from the, the arena. <clears throat> and Staples Center was one of the leaders of that. Well, actually, the, the arena that really started it was the United Center in Chicago. And Staples Center followed suit. And I was involved in, in the design of what the strobe system would look like. And at that time, they had six sets of strobes permanently installed in Staples Center, each set being eight packs and heads. So there were 48 packs and strobe, uh, packs and heads Jesus. in the catwalk. Yeah. So that would allow six entities realistically to rent from Staples each game. The NBA then mandated you could only have four sets of strobes going off at any given time because it was just too distracting. TV went crazy with all the, you know, strobing of the, of their still, you know, their, stop action slow-mo <clears throat> so um now staples has three sets we've kind of called it down and no one else is really doing strobes anymore sports illustrated doesn't do it um <clears throat> usa today who used to shoot with strobes they don't anymore uh, the wire services don't the newspapers um because you know digital do you think that's just got that's just yeah i was just gonna say that's just the digital yeah digital's become uh, so much better ISO. but also because the arenas have um the available light uh the arena lighting yeah. is so much better now with this these incredible led lights that they use but the nba and nhl still love the strobe look so it's really just for for them and for for us who shoot for them I was going to ask you about one of your favorite shots, but like there's a beautiful shot on your website that, uh, of, you know, the, uh, of Kobe, you know, doing a dunk from above. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of my favorites on the yellow key, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, these, it, uh, was that from a match? Yeah. That was a game. From that was, uh, yeah. It was, match, that, so that was like was his second, uh, yeah. That was his second season. And I was putting the crazy Hasselblad. With a 350 millimeter lens, which is about 18 inches long, hanging that off a catwalk with probably three or four clamps and magic arms and safeties and everything else, and firing it remotely. Yeah, I mean, it does look like a. It, I mean, that's you know, that's that's what I was going to say. It does look like a studio. It looks like a studio setup. Yeah, you know, well, it's a, it's studio just shoot. a very fortunate. Everything came together. I mean, he was on a breakaway dunk. You know, remember, I'm on the other side of the court. 
and the camera's in the catwalk. <laughs> so what I'm yeah. seeing from my ground level is not what the camera is seeing, but you know, I timed it right, which was lucky and there was no one else around him and he had the ball in the right place. And he's looking at the basket and, and his placement in relation to the basket. I mean, everything just worked out. So it was one yeah. of those moments in time that you just, you know, when you see that the next day, when you go to the lab and see that in the, in the film and you, you know, you're going through film and you see that frame, you know, it's just so gratifying because you know how much work went into preparing to take a picture like that. <laughs> you know, it yeah. just doesn't happen. It'd be a lot, a lot of work. And, and, you know, Walter Yost, the godfather of sports photography, you know, his quote, his famous quote is that luck is due to careful, careful preparation. And, you know, people say, oh, you're Dwight Clark, a cat shot, you know, the luckiest picture. No, wasn't lucky. He knew because he was he knew what was happening in the game. He knew how the 49ers were playing. He knew what Joe Montana's mindset was. He knew to be in the end zone to get that picture. You know, it just didn't happen. And the 900 other guys who didn't get it are kicking themselves because somebody was smart enough and prepared enough to be in position to get that picture. I mean, that's that's exactly you're you're spot on the money. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, you know, there are pictures that you know might win an award or something where someone does get lucky. Sure. But again, they are so rare. They are so rare. And every the people that you know, Al Bellow, who's an oh, Al is just American a, colleague. Yeah, perfect example. Al is. Yeah, yeah. He, you know, he got a there was a you know big touchdown from a few years ago where he got this ball on the tip of the fingers, and you know the yep. there was a big story about you know how many people didn't get it, and you know, right. The video, the TV coverage shows people like looking at the back of their cameras yeah, then, no, or I like picking that. up the wrong sure. lens. And yeah, yeah, Al was pretty much the only one that got like this ball right on the tip. And right. Again, that that's not luck. Exactly what you right. just said. That's not luck. That's uh, that's years of experience and you know thousands of hours sitting on the side of a of a football pitch. Right. Get, uh, you know. Yeah, for sure. Knowing what's going to happen. Well, so. it's also being in the moment and knowing what your job is and not talking to the four other photographers next to you, you know, or complaining about, uh, you know, that security is bothering you or whatever. It's just doing your job. You know, you know, and I know that if you, if you see the picture, if you see the moment happen in your camera, you miss the picture, right? Oh, it's gone. Because, you know, <laughs> right. Because if you clicked at the right time, you won't see it happen because the, the shutter is clicking. So, yeah, you know, I, I sort of pride myself on that and, whether people think I'm aloof or whatever, I don't care. I mean, I'm, I'm not there to make conversation. I'm there to, to do my job. And that means being locked in and focused. And, you know, that brings us completely full circle around the, to the Mamba mentality concept, because, you know, Kobe talks about that in the book. I mean, he talks about shutting everything out and just being present for what you're there to do and not let distraction get in the way and all the preparation and effort that goes into being able to perform at the highest level that you possibly can. And uh, that's why he and I bonded, I think, because I think he saw in me that I had that same sort of obsessive mentality that he had. Well, that's this is the, you know, we'll have to, you know, wrap it up in a bit. But just, um, yeah, I mean, that that's one of the things I wanted to ask you as well like you know from the portraits that i've seen of you with not just kobe with other athletes as well but you know especially with kobe obviously being this um you know these are the the pictures that we're talking about mainly here is 
that relationship seems to come across on your pictures as well. And, you know, I, I've worked with amazing uh, entertainment photographers who and other entertainment photographers, you know, and they have the same uh, celebrity in front of them and just the expression and uh, ease, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. it just comes through in their pictures, you know what I mean? And, and I could see that, in, especially in some of the portraits that you've done with, uh, with Kobe, he just looks like, you know... Mm -hmm. He's not telling you to hurry up. Right. He's not looking at you like, you know, oh, geez, what's he doing now? Like he just, he, <laughs> right, right, right. he knows you, he knows what you're doing. He knows your work. He knows that, you know, he knows that he can trust you. And uh, that seems to come across in a lot of the pictures that, uh, that, that, well, that I've seen of, 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 uh, that you've taken. Yeah, well, I, no, I appreciate that. And again, we get, we get back to preparation. I mean, and this goes back to my earliest portrait session with, Magic Johnson, um, I was hired by Converse or somebody to shoot a, a shoe thing with him. I was told I was going to be given very little time because he was going to be doing a commercial and I'd have a, like a little backdrop set up off to the side, you know. And and uh, this is, of course, in the film days and I was shooting RZ67 Mamiya, you know, um, and it had the Polaroid back. And, you know, I'd already had established a relationship with magic i mean i think i got hired because i had that relationship with him that he wanted to have somebody come that he was comfortable with you know doing this so he comes on the set and i have the polaroid back and i shoot a polaroid and he goes what was that i said oh that was the polaroid he goes he goes when i come on your set you don't do polaroids you do the polaroids before i get there <laughs> he says, when, when i come on the set you need to be ready and he didn't say it like in a scolding way he was like if we're going to work together this is how it's going to work right and i never took another polaroid of him ever again <laughs> <laughs> and i would hire a stand-in who was his same skin tone you know almost the same height build and and he would be my my model that i would shoot everything on and i would get magic on the set shoot film and then you know, in those days you did what's called a snip test or you did a, a separate roll of film that you would have a couple of frames on. It would be your test at the lab, but never, never again another Polaroid. <laughs> so that answers, you know, but, but then, you know, fast forward to, to Kobe, same thing, same mentality, you know, be ready, be not dicking around with your lighting or figuring out a camera angle, you know, so that you could have that conversation and he could feel at ease and you already have this relationship and the trust built. So why are you screwing around with technical stuff that you should have had buttoned up already? Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I know, I know, I don't want to, uh, I don't know if I want to, it was Kobe obviously is, you know, iconic legend, all that kind of stuff. I mean, was he your favorite player ever to shoot? I mean, I, I've sort of, it's a bit of a difficult question because mm. I know that you've obviously done a book with him, but like, you know, you've, you've, you've worked through, sort of like a golden period of of NBA, you know, like I said, Magic Johnson and, you know, Carl uh, Malone and all these mm -hmm. sort of, you know, again, such, you know, when, when you think of that dream team, you know, Clyde Drexler, like all these guys in the right. Barcelona 92. Yeah. I mean, you know, all those guys, you've got photos of every single one of those guys playing and mm -hmm. there's not one player in that team apart from uh, Leitner, I think it was, that wasn't sort of, uh, you know, an icon of the nba is, is there any player that just always made a photo that's what that's what i want to ask always um i would say yeah yeah for sure there were a bunch of them um 
Magic would probably be top of the list, and Kobe and Michael Jordan. I don't think you could ever. I ever got a bad picture of him either on the court or off the court. Um, <laughs> um, these guys are amazing athletes, but they're incredibly photogenic too because of their incredible uh, athleticism. You know, their their bodies. They're, they're just amazing specimens uh, of yeah. humanity. You know. <laughs> Um, yeah, I agree. <laughs> and, you know, it's different in other sports. I mean, hockey players, I'm around a lot, and they look like average people and baseball players, most of them. Soccer players, too, I would say. Um, football players are a little bit, obviously, different. But then you get to the NBA players, and, like, every guy is just, you know, incredibly gifted um, and photogenic. I mean, I, I have not had a bad experience. I've never had anybody in front of me saying, oh, man, I, well, what am I going to do with this guy? I mean, it's like, you yeah. know what I mean? And sometimes <laughs> you got to get creative, but that's okay. That's part of the job. <laughs> yeah, because I, I saw your, um, you know, there's, a, again, one of your uh, pictures that seems to come up a bit was uh, the picture of, uh, of MJ and uh, Magic Johnson together. Right, right. Yeah, something that came up uh, on a regular basis. That you know, is there other versions of that kind of picture? Was that something very special? Because it seems to be the same photo. You know what I mean? Like, is it something? Which one are you uh, referring to? There's a photo of sort of like Magic, sort of like almost backing you in, and Jordan sort of got his arm up and he's oh yeah, sure, getting defending. Well, that was you know, that was a gift because um, if you think about Bird and Magic, Larry Bird and Magic played two completely different positions. And they never matched up against each other. They never guarded each other. So the only time you could get a picture of those two guys together was either at the captain's meeting before the game when they come to center court and shake hands and maybe have a minute, you know, a second to get a picture or two. Or in a free throw situation where they would, God willing, line up next to each other, you know, waiting for the person to shoot the free throw for a rebound. For a rebound. Yeah. So that, you know, yeah. that was the only time. And, and then you got to hope that all the elements work together and they're facing you and not facing away or whatever. And somebody didn't get in the way. Um, so I was fortunate to have a few of those opportunities, but then you get to the magic Jordan matchup and those guys did match up. They didn't necessarily guard each other because uh, magic was a point guard and Michael was a shooting guard, but there were many, many times when, they deed each other up or, um, you know, one was guarding the other, um, or one was contesting the other shot, you know, that kind of thing. So that was, that was awesome. Um, then you get into with centers, you know, guys like Shaq and Elijah Wan or Elijah Wan and, and Ewing, David Robinson, say Patrick Ewing. Yeah. 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 David Robinson. Okay. And you got, you know, Yao came along later on. Um, so those were great matchups to shoot as well. And then Kobe had his, his uh, defensive nemesis is that you'd always want to kind of key on because, you know, I, I always knew when we were going into a certain game that there was a guy that had, you know, that had an eye on Kobe that I needed to like really be attentive to, you know, Bruce Bowen in San Antonio or a guy named Raja Bell in Phoenix. Um, you know, about four or five of those that Kobe talks about in the book that, um, you know, those were, those were important. And then, and then, you know, then you get your legendary players playing against each other just, you know, randomly, you know, you could get, uh, Chris Paul and Russell Westbrook now in a game or, or, 
of course, LeBron and Steph Curry when they played those four finals against each other. Um, you know, so that kind of stuff. So that, you know, that those are the money shots. You know, that gets my, you know, that kind of makes my reason for living um, even more important, I guess, when I produce shots like that. Um, but those are, those are things you can't really control, but you just have to be aware of and be be attentive to and, and not miss when they do happen. Well, it sounds like you've still got that uh, enthusiasm, which uh, you would have, you know, that you were talking about it when you first started about now, you know, still looking for these mm -hmm. uh, yeah. moments and players and stuff like that. I mean, what's, um, look, I'm, I'm going to have to sure, wrap it up because uh, I've taken up weight. I know you're a, you sound like you're an extremely busy man. <laughs> well, no, it's great talking. <laughs> With a lot going you on. Know, I, I really, I, yeah, I got to tell you, it's, it's really enjoyable to me to talk to a fellow photographer first and foremost, because then we can talk shop, you know, and, and not. I won't. I don't really have to explain stuff, <laughs> technical things. And you, you've been there. You, you've been in the trenches. You know what it, what we all go through. So, um, hopefully, your audience can relate to that aspect um, of our conversation. That's a definite massive plus for me as well. Like I said, because like you know, like I told you at the start, you know, that's one of the reasons I wanted to have these conversations is. You know, this is one of the only formats where we can actually just have the, uh, you know, a long talk about photography, mm -hmm. about, you know, specifically sports photography. And, you know, like I know I've seen your, you know, a few clips on TV and on ESPN or whatever it is. And then, you know, you only have a few, you know, it's minutes. It's a few minutes to sort of get your a few mm -hmm. words out. And, you know, I know they don't go into that much detail about certain things. And that's what I was hoping to have this. And that's thank thankfully yeah. you have given me. So much information, which I absolutely love. I've been smiling all the way through this. So <laughs> well, this thanks, has been really I enjoyed good. it too. Thank you. Uh, well, um, just before we go, can you just uh, let us know exactly what, uh, you know, book, uh, you know, where can sure, we find sure. you, social media, you know, your all that kind of yeah, stuff? Yeah, of course. Please. Well, the book, uh, Mamba Mentality, um, is available on Amazon primarily. I mean, uh, worldwide, I guess Amazon would be the place, or at a, at a major bookstores wherever you happen to live, will hopefully be stocking it. Um, but uh, you know, Amazon seems to be the best location. You can follow my photography at at adb photo inc um, on Instagram and on Twitter. Uh, I don't do a lot on Twitter, but I, I am very very active on Instagram. And then my podcast is called Legends of Sport. And that you can get on uh, Apple iTunes. Um, we're on the Podcast One network, but it's um, it's distributed by iTunes. So Legends of Sport, uh, sit down with a, a different icon in the world of sports, an athlete or somebody behind the scenes, an owner. And we talk about their life and uh, their career. <clears throat> and then uh, social media for Legends of Sport is uh, at Legends of Sport uh, Instagram. So we post a lot of um a lot of imagery that has to do with that week's guest, but we also do it this day in sports history. So we discuss, you know, looking back at uh, what happened on this day and how what happened, what's happening today in sports is was influenced by what happened in the past. So, you know, a lot going on, but hopefully people will, um, you know, will check out those, uh, those outlets and, well, I'll put a link. Obviously yeah. I'll put a link to all those things on the, um, on the show notes as Great. well. So, um, Andy, this has been a massive thrill. Thank you very much for this. I appreciate oh, it a lot. Thanks. I know I've taken a lot of your time. Yeah, up. thank you. Let me know when it runs because I'm the one who uh, – well, I'm following you now, so I'll probably know. But 
Hopefully, yeah. I know we yeah. follow we're following <laughs> each other now, so we, we right. <laughs> we'll keep up to date. All right, my friend. Well, enjoy the rest of <laughs> your night, I guess. And my day is just getting started. Yes, here, night. So. Uh, kids will be home, and kids will be home. I've got to cook. There you go. Now. All right, my friend. Take care. Great talking to you. <laughs> Thank you very okay. much. Bye. Thank you. Many, many thanks, Andrew. As you heard, listeners, he has got a lot going on. So to give me ninety minutes was more than I could have asked for. The amount of great sports photography information just shared gave me, and I hope you out there, an insight into a career most of us can only dream of. Not only is he still teaching and producing great images, but I love the legacy of active NBA team photographers that have come out of the Bernstein stable. Again, thanks to you, Andrew, for sharing your wealth of experiences. Follow him, of course, on social media, ADB Photo Inc., and check out his website, ADB api.com of course you can just google his name andrew bernstein to find out exactly where he is and of course i will have a link to all these in the show notes where you will find a link to his new book the mama mentality how i play with andrew's photos almost on every page now the usual stuff reviews on itunes please and i hope out there you out there are getting something out of these conversations because that's exactly what i intended the show for If I can help you with anything else, like feedback of your work, let me know. For the newbies who stumbled across this show, subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud or your pod platform of choice. And of course, what kind of podcast would this be without too many mentions for the place to send questions or comments? All Sports Snapper on Twitter and Instagram. And my website, of course, allsportsnapper.com. Last thing, observe, listen and practice because your best photo could be one frame away. <laughs>